The other day, someone asked me what my brand is. And not like what brand of skis I like or the kind of hot dogs I buy, which of course are Vienna beef because go Cubs. Uh, It wasn't that at all. It was like what my personal brand is. Okay, knowing you, you probably said something like mustachioed skier. I... (laughs) I should have. I wish I had thought of that. I should have said that. I should have said anything rather than not respond, which was a little awkward because I just looked at this human. <laughs> so the question, it just makes me feel really weird. And and I think it's because life, especially if you're a creative or an athlete in the outdoor world or, or just like an everyday person with a van and I love to travel, it's kind of been about building this brand that people can buy into, which to me, is very, very strange. Like, okay, Elizabeth, do you use social media? Um, mostly for research for work and stalking. Um, mm-hmm. Especially now Wait. I've had some time on my hands since I'm Wait, sick and all. Time out. Uh, Did you say stalking? You'll never Did see you me say coming. Stalking? Anyway, I use social media, but <laughs> I'm not a broadcaster like you are. But even me, you know, I have been totally kind of tampering down on my posting and interacting. You know, I like keeping up with my friends and family, and I like to promote things that I've helped create, but I've really dialed it back over the last year or so. I mean, I don't actually have to dial it back because I've never really used it. I, know. I held back from getting on social media for a very long time. People looked at me like I was afraid yeah. because I was the last person on earth to be interested in the idea of Facebook. And when I did get it, I almost never used it and I still don't. And now it seems anecdotally, at least, that people are doing what you're doing. They're kind of letting go of social media. Yeah. So conclusion, my instinct to run in the opposite direction proved to be right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, once again, you're the smartest person I know. (laughs) So I think at the very least, though, our relationship to social media is much more complicated than we ever originally thought. Mm. And it's gone way beyond connecting with old friends and relatives, right? It's wriggled its way into every aspect of society. And I think it's done so in really remarkable ways. Like, I think my grandma knows what a selfie and a hashtag are, which is crazy to me because the house that she grew up in didn't have any indoor plumbing. And now she's like, oh, yeah, I know what a hashtag van life is. You know, that's <laughs> that is a little bonkers to me. So kind of cool. Yeah, it is. It's cool. Go get your selfie, Grandma. But <laughs> the thing that I've been getting hung up on recently is this idea of the curated life. When every post and every decision and every trip is tracked and measured and created as almost this like performance, how do we tell what's real and what's not? And for those people who manage to be truly influential, how do they do that and then simultaneously walk the line of being real? What happens to honesty in this day and age of the curated life? Today, we've got two guests, count them, two, each with their own thoughts on the topic. First, Louisa Jeffrey, social media critic, humorist, and operator of the incredible Instagram account, You Did Not Sleep There. And second, our creative spirit guide, Fitz Cahal, who knows a thing or two about modern branding and keeping it real. I'm Patty O'Connell. And I'm Elizabeth Nakano. Welcome to Safety Third, a show about ideas and how we come to believe in them. In 
prepping for our chats with Louisa and Fitz, I got into a deep, dark research hole about influencers and the money in social media. And what did you find? Well, a lot. But what really stood out was this article Fortune published in the spring of 2017. Okay, so apparently the Federal Trade Commission sent out 90 letters to social media influencers to make sure they're being transparent about sponsored posts. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I remember that. It right? was um, yeah. part of that effort to clearly differentiate between advertisements and real life. Yeah. Because apparently, I'm sure you've seen people would put hashtag SP or hashtag partner totally. or sponsored yeah, yeah. but it'd be like buried way at the bottom of a post or after a million other <laughs> hashtags yeah, um, yeah. and the ftc was not okay with that so now influencers have to disclose sponsored posts at the beginning of those captions but well at least they're supposed to i i've seen a lot where it's still kind of like same old same old yeah totally right like these letters were most likely sent to big time actors and internet celebrities and probably not said to like your favorite van lifer or dirtbag ski bum climber mountain biker kayaker bro bra but <laughs> hopefully it's filtering down into the outdoor world right and i think that's good because otherwise you don't know where the line is what is separating the authentic outdoor experience from the sponsored promotion right and that is why what louisa jeffrey told me kind of freaked me out instagram is where authenticity goes to die if you're not familiar with the Instagram account You Did Not Sleep There, go check it out immediately. It is hilarious. Well, hold on. Not immediately, like right after the show. Anyways, it's funny. You'll love it. So Louisa created it, and she uses it to poke fun at the phoniness of the outdoor lifestyle that's often portrayed on social media. But she has not always used Instagram like this. At first, her use of the platform was pretty tame. Louisa started using Instagram about a year after it launched, and it was to create a personal account. So she took photos, used the filters to make those photos look all technicolor, and she said she hoped to get 11 likes from her friends because that was like a big milestone. <laughs> so to her, Instagram was just this fun photo editing tool and a way of sharing pictures with her friends. But then... She went on a trip to the Grand Canyon in 2015 with a bunch of friends, including her photography buddy, Jake. And so they had a bunch of polar gear. Jake's a photographer, and he basically proposed photographing his tent that he brought in some pretty random places for Instagram. Um, and they, you know, knew the polar guys, so it wasn't, it wasn't what I think a lot of people do now, which is kind of a please feature me type of situation. Like it would have been a professional thing that they probably would have used. But I was just so confused and flabbergasted that that was a thing. And then when we got back from the trip, I, you know, you immediately go on Instagram as you do. And I just started realizing that that kind of stuff exists everywhere. And people are just taking the most ridiculous photos just for the photo. It's just like, it's all the same. Nothing is unique and everybody is just doing the same thing, but everybody loves it. I think I just started noticing it a lot. Um, noticing what? Just trends in outdoor photography and just ridiculous staged photos. And, you know, I have... What, kind of tr what kind of trends? I guess I should listen. Yeah, like tents that are lit up at night with like, you know, a bright light in it and uh, like a long exposure shot with like the Milky Way in the background and a guy 
or gal standing there with a headlamp shining into the distance or a tent on the edge of a cliff that whatever that rock is in Norway that was kind of like the one that started it for me which I don't even know what it's called to be honest but people putting tents on that thing and just knowing like that is definitely not a thing that you did and then meeting people that have been there and been like yeah there's tourists like lined up for days to take that photo so knowing for sure they didn't do it just face palming you know why are we doing this the repetition continues to happen because it works and especially now people are just selling products right and if things sell and if people engage with what's that called impressions the impressions are up and the engagements are up then that's really kind of all that matters in the end after her experience at the grand canyon and observing what she thought was this phony representation of the outdoor community on social media louisa decided to do something about it that's when she began to repost camping photos that seemed outrageously staged under the account you did not sleep there In the captions, Louisa would playfully make fun of the photographers behind the photos, the models or influencers in the scene, and the brands that were paying for everything. It is so flippin' funny. And once Louisa started You Do Not Sleep There, it quickly became popular, meaning thousands of people started following the account. And then thousands more. Original, hilarious things tend to spread like wildfire. The account and Louise's humor were the subject of a few articles in really big publications, including Nat Geo, Field Mag, and The New Yorker. And with an increase in notoriety and followers, Louisa broke out of her template and did something different. There was, I don't know, 20,000 or 10,000 maybe even when this happened, people following it. And I had just gone to the Women's March in D.C. And I was like, you know, I live in this place in Portland, Oregon, where I'm surrounded by people who think like me and who are, you know, progressives, liberals. And so I was thinking, you know, I want to know, like, I'm Canadian. The election just happened. The psychopath is the president. Why do people, why? Like, what, I want to know, like, who voted for this person and why this is happening. So I posted a photo that I took at the Women's March. I wrote a caption that was like, hey, you guys, I just want to have a conversation with someone who supports this person. And I want to not like get heated or mad. I just want to understand what's happening and why this happened. And that just made a lot of people mad. Why why was it important for you to get political on the on the account? At that point, it was just because I wanted to learn. I want. I had no one to talk to about why this was happening. I didn't know who, how I could reach out to people, and that was the only thing I could think of. Like, I've got these 10, 20, whatever it was, thousand people that look at this thing. Seems like a pretty good sounding board. And some of the reactions, like some of the, the, the criticism directed towards you for getting political have been like, no, this account was just for laughter, you're going off-brand and stick to your niche yeah. and stuff like that. And stick to your niche. Yeah. This, I didn't come here for the politics. I'm like, I don't really actually care if you're here or not, to be frank, so you can leave. That's fine. <laughs> and I would still like to have this conversation, which one person did. If I'm here and I have these people, then I should be using this for something positive positive. Um, And that's something that really bothers me about Instagram, too, is 
there's so many people out there, especially in the outdoor world, who have all of these giant followings, and because they are now a using this for money and using this as an advertising platform, they don't want to upset anyone, any potential person that's going to partner with them or pay them to jump on a mattress or whatever. So they don't want to voice an opinion or, you know, like try to teach something good or, you know, be themselves because it's not what it's about. It's about marketing. The original purpose of Instagram was for an everyday person to be a photographer, to post their photo, and have the ability to tweak a crappy iPhone 3 photo with these filters and these things to make it look kind of like a professional photographer took it. So, why is Instagram where authenticity goes to die? Because it's become a tool for advertising. So, what do you think of Instagram influencers? I just don't like the advertising. I don't follow any influencers that I don't know personally. And those that I do, I have a hard time following them because I'm like, I don't want to see this. I want to see what your life is like because you're my friend and I want to know what you're doing. But I don't want to see what you're doing because Kettle Chips paid you to go take a photo with a bag of pepperoncini flavored chips. Does that make sense? No, it does. I mean, are you saying that there it's there's a certain level of inauthenticity that you're picking up on? Completely. It's all it's all fake. Everything is I mean, you don't have to be an influencer, whatever that stupid word is that we invented. You don't have to be that person to to do that. There's you know, aspiring influencers. Anyone can be fake on it. And that's the thing that's weird is that and that's why, you know, it's inauthentic. And it's ironic because there was when I very first started and I was cruising hashtags of like how I can find these photos, authentic life, hashtag authentic life or hashtag live authentic were some of the the most uh, deep pockets of content that I could find for my account, um, which is completely backwards because it's it's just fake. Everything is fake. I got to say, I agree with Louisa here. This Instagram public persona, this this well-crafted social identity for profit, which is completely different from who someone actually is, just seems phony as hell. But Instagram becoming an advertising and marketing platform isn't all that surprising, I guess. You know, marketing people and a lifestyle has been a thing forever, for decades. Take Michael Jordan. When I was a kid in Chicago in the 80s and 90s, Jordan was a god. And really, he was a god everywhere, everywhere on earth. When he first came into the NBA in 1984, Jordan inked the biggest shoe deal ever. He got 500k in cash, 7 mil in Nike stock options, plus Nike pumped a million bucks into marketing his shoes in the first six months they were sold. And he was in Space Jam. And remember those Gatorade ads? Remember, like Mike, if I could be like Mike, what are <laughs> well, I don't remember it like that. It was, it was pretty. It was, uh, it was just like that. So, but all that polishing and that catchy jingle, everything worked. As a kid, I would have literally evaporated if I met MJ. He was cool. He was nice. He won six championships with the Bulls. His shoes were fly. And Bill Murray and the Looney Tunes hung out with him. Michael Jordan was awesome. But you didn't know who he really was 
That public persona didn't highlight any character defects or really anything negative. And we've seen what happens when that turns out to be the case. Like, okay, Nike promoted Tiger Woods as the best good guy role model of all time. Um, and that worked until, of course, you know, the world found out that Tiger Woods is actually Tiger Woods. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and Nike even pointed out that athletes aren't role models before Tiger Woods was a thing. Remember those, I am not a role model, Charles Barkley commercials? Mm. And that all goes back to what Luisa is saying, I think, that today, with social media and smartphones at the ready, anyone and everyone can be a brand, can curate an identity for profit, which to me raises some questions for sure. But why shouldn't you have the ability to manage yourself to be profitable? Is that such a bad thing? I don't know. I kind of, I go back and forth on this. Because I'm like, okay, yeah, people got to make a living. I totally understand that. And maybe if someone gave you or me some clams to post on Instagram, we'd be all about that chowda. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, know. I think so, baby. Well, I mean, because have you ever heard of Loki the Wolf Dog? Outside Magazine reported he makes more than, wait for it. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. $10,000 for every sponsored post. Shut up. We're talking about a dog, a literal dog, like woof, woof, sniff, sniff, a literal flipping dog. No, no way. Shut up. Yes, yes, I will not shut up. This this pooch is going to make at least six figures this year, which is incredible to me. Oh, gosh. six. Fi- I like that you said at least six figures. I'm feeling so many things right I now. Breathe, Most of them are not good. Breathe, Elizabeth. Like, In what am with I the doing butterflies, with my <laughs> out with the bees. Breathe, breathe. Okay. Anywho, here's what's on my mind about this, though. Like a huge, adorable dog doing huge, adorable dog things in those manicured stage photos for profit doesn't really seem all that problematic to me, right? But I keep coming back to this question. What happens to a person and to someone's identity when it's a commodity? If creating and maintaining a personal brand is a job requirement, can a person get themselves into trouble trying to live under those burdens of being a brand? So this is why Elizabeth and I talked to our boss, Fitzka Hall, the maestro of branding and one of the realest humans we know. He's got something to say about all this. I believe that there is an urge in our society right now to treat yourself like a brand. And I think that is that is the exact opposite of what we should be doing. Because in the end, brands are totally boring. People are interesting. So what is a brand to you? I mean, basically, a brand is a business. And a business, for the most part, is pretty dull. It's transactional in nature. Someone makes a product, they sell it. When you add branding to that, it's sort of like filling in and painting by numbers. It takes a lot of talent in order to create those numbers, but what creating a brand does is gives everybody a template inside of this organization or this company to work from. They know what they should say and what they should sound like when they've got their brand hat on. And that idea in the age of social media um, and the rise of the internet has begun to trickle down into people's personal lives and how they project themselves online. When those things don't line up with what's true in your heart and what you're feeling and that image that's being thrown out there, I think that's when you have problems. When you start acting like a brand or that idea, that is when you run into issues in your life. And Fitz knows this from experience. It almost killed him. That story coming up after the break. Thank you. 
when Tep was about nine months old, I went out climbing with my good friend Mikey. And there had been this peak and called Mount Bering, and it has this incredible face to it. This gi- it looks like a giant sail, and it's only an hour and a half away from Seattle. But it, this cl- this face has has not really been climbed. It's difficult technically. There wasn't a lot of information, um, and it was hard to know if anyone had even done it in the last twenty years or so. But I'd always wanted to do it. Mikey was game. We went out, and about a third of the way up the route, I was was trying to figure out which way to go. And there wasn't any protection um, between me and the belay. Mikey's clipped into the belay, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of like trying to figure out where I can get gear or find a bolt. And all of a sudden, I I'm, I'm realize I'm not in a good spot, and I begin to back off. And as that happens, I, I pull off this, this flake that's about the size of like a dinner tray. Um, maybe an inch and a half thick, but a very thin, slender, sharp thing that... I pull off, and as I do that, I throw it away from the wall, um, and I lose my balance, and all of a sudden, I'm falling, and I realize, because it's a big enough fall that I have time to think, this is really going to be bad. That rock that Fitz pulled off the wall cut his rope halfway through, but somehow, it held. Still, Fitz fell about 50 feet. He broke his ankle, and his chest hurt so bad, he thought he broke a bunch of ribs. Then he and Mikey had this 12-hour epic to get back to the car. Eventually, they got to the hospital, where Doc sent Fitz into pre-surgery. The pain in his chest? That was his organs swelling. The doctors also gave Fitz a CAT scan. They were worried about whether or not his spleen needed to be removed. Ultimately, fortunately, Fitz didn't need surgery. But when he was back at home, recovering on the couch, he had this weird mix of emotions and thoughts swirling around in his head. I've been climbing for a, a pretty long time, and nothing like that had ever really happened to me before. Um, and, and I'd done things that were, I'd put up new routes on loose rock in wild places. I had um, done a lot of things that, that in theory could be dangerous, but they had never had dangerous really felt that dangerous to me and so this in a way felt like a fluke but it was so clear what it had done I mean not only had I almost died um, with a nine-month-old at home who was crawling but I put Becca in this really rough situation and in that moment I, I leaned on this idea of what what would a badass do right and a badass mountain person they would they would sit there and they would keep following their passion. They would keep saying like, well, that's cool. And this was a fluke accident. And I'm able to have like an analytical mind about this. And I've climbed for 15 years and nothing bad has really ever happened. And this one time, this bad thing happened. So it could stand a reason that I won't come into this for next 15 years. And, and truth, what do, what do people like me do? People like me should keep following the thing that's made them really tick for the last 15 years. And so I did that. Fitz devoted himself to physical therapy and to getting back to climbing. The spring after his accident, Fitz went with some friends to climb El Cap. He climbed it about a half dozen times before, and he says it was always physically challenging, but never dangerous. But there's a first time for everything. We were about a third of the way up the nose, and a a climber above us dislodged this huge uh, block probably the size of, of like a big screen TV or something like that. And all of a sudden, there's that sound that every climber fears and dreads. And there is rock coming down and the block explodes and breaks into smaller bits. 
And I remember just putting my head down and, and thinking, I hope it's all right when I lift my head back up because I just, there were just enough people on the wall. It was on the nose and it was a popular route. So there's, there's climbers in the vicinity. The, the person that dislodged that flake, it ended up uh, killing them. And I'd set out and I thought, here I was sort of behaving in this way that was like, oh, I'm, I'm mitigating risk. I'm, I'm just out on El Cap. And here's the second really close call I've had that literally happened in the same year that I had the other really close call I'd had. And it was a surprising moment. And that was, that was the second where I had to step back and say, hey, like, what are you, how are you thinking right now? Are you thinking as fits or are you thinking as some sort of caricature of a successful person in the outdoor space. Am I doing this because this is what I feels like I should do to impress my peers or to impress the rest of the world or to impress the listeners of the Dirtbag Diaries? Like, why am I doing this? When you start to present yourself in this world that generates like the most sort of number of, of hearts and likes and all that, we lose something. I don't know. And in my mind, it's like this moment where you're missing out because I reserve the right to change my mind and I reserve my right to grow and I reserve my right to flip my opinion even from week to week because that ultimately I think is what makes us interesting as people not somebody who's set in stone and always says the same robotic thing over and over again but the interesting people the people I want to be surrounded by the person I want to be they're capable of growth and evolution The amazing part of social media um, and and what's happened, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Twitter, is this democratization and the removal of gatekeepers, right? In my mind, that is a plus one. Like there is a lot to be said for the creativity and the energy that that surrounds social media. And, and I think it's very easy to just be like, well, social media, bad. And that overlooks some really wonderful, interesting, intriguing sides of it. But I think what's happened, as money's entered in and, and marketers and brands out there see this as an opportunity to get into something real and something where communities happen, you smooth things out. You, make, you take off the rough edges and you start to share this version of this world where the things that make us interesting those um, jagged parts of our personality or the, the sometimes unreliable, sometimes quirky, sometimes um, bizarre side, they all get shaved down because people out there with these big followings have a chance to make money. And saying something dumb in that situation could cost them a lot of money. And though there's this sort of this aversion to taking chances out there. Um, with what you say or how you communicate and how you would do that would be very differently how you would communicate to your Instagram audience or your YouTube audience than it would be to your friends sitting around on a Friday night on the couch. The scary thing is when that public image really starts to drive what happens when you aren't in front of the public eye and the choices you make with your life and what to do. That's when all of a sudden this this thinking of brands of people, it starts to infiltrate into true creativity and true wonder and the things that make us interesting as people. Dude, brands are fucking boring. Like, let's 
just I know that there's gonna be some people that that maybe I work with that take offense to that but like let's just all be honest is it's not that interesting but our choices we make you know you Elizabeth you Patty me I appreciate getting to know you because you guys aren't always the same and that's magic and that's wonderful and I think that that's we could use more of that in the world of creativity and in the world of outdoor sports and everywhere we could use a little bit more of that I think and we'd all be a little bit better off. Now I'm just like, now I'm on my soapbox, man. Well, did you just call Elizabeth and I magical? That was really nice. Thank you. I'll never do that again, Patty. <laughs> no, I've got it recorded, brother. So, yes. Patty, yes. what did we learn today? Well... I, that list of cliche photos that Louisa gave us is totally spot on. You know, it's funny how often those things actually pop up in my feed. And I think it would be incredibly super powerful for people with a huge following to actually try to teach and support positive messages or uh, kick-ass movements, even when it's not profitable, even when it's not in line with some kind of weird set of self-created brand restrictions, mm. right? Yeah. I mean, we saw what happened with Fitz, right? The negative potential of acting like a brand. He almost died. Right. You know, and I get it. Louisa and Fitz can be, um, let's call it a little cynical. You know, <laughs> they could be a little crusty about all this for sure. But I mean, I get what they're saying. You know, to me, what happens to me when I hear someone refer to, you know, quote unquote, their brand or somebody say something like, that's not on brand for me. I want to barf onto myself. You know, I immediately say, ooh. But, you know, Fitz is right. If you box yourself into guidelines, you stifle your potential for growth. And growth and learning, that's the coolest part of being a human. So why would you want to box yourself in at all? Yeah, I mean, I get what Louise and Fitz are saying. This is a reaction to the formulaic content we see everywhere. Right, totally. But I think it's important to remember that what we are seeing now on Instagram or YouTube or whatever other platform, at one point, it was all novel. Right. And the people who were making a living on these platforms were doing something really different. Right, yeah. And okay. creatives, they need to look for templates, right? Like basically ways of succeeding in creative endeavors where they kind of replicate some sort of formula or guidelines. And that's how the younger generation, I think, learns to make creativity a living. Explain. And well, like there's some pretty boring formulaic crap. And right. I will never uh, on principle be a fan of Loki the wolf dog. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't like the barely hidden product placement that masquerades as something real. But I think that it's important to remember that out of this sea of curated stuff, there's going to be some really cool things that emerge. Okay. To go back to what you were saying, like explain, a good photographer had to take bad photos or copy others to learn the craft. A good songwriter had to write some really terrible songs and probably look at other people's templates to see what was catching on. And so I just have some faith that out of all of this, there's going to be some cool things that spring out. And so if someone needs to think of themselves as a brand to get there, 
why would we take that tool away from them? Okay, so what you're saying is that we need to dress you up like an adorable little mountain dog or some type okay, of little mountain so kitty cat. Okay, so we learned and nothing. I'll take your photos, is what I'm and then hearing. we'll get rich and okay, Instagram see, famous, nope, and all the brands will want to work with totally us. Totally. been listening to safety third our guests today were louisa jeffries of the instagram handle you did not sleep there and fitzka hall of duct tape and beer if you like today's show please chat it up to your community safety third is a block party for your ears so bring some jello salad get on in to the old jumpy jump and invite your friends to the show hell chit chat about it with some complete strangers even don't be shy pals you can find us on Instagram at safety third underscore podcast and on the old interwebs at safetythirdpodcast.com. Safety Third is produced by Elizabeth Nakano. Alex Park edited this episode. Additional production help from Sarah Vitek. Music by my brother, yes, my big brother, Brendan Lionel Snarf O'Connell. Art direction by Anya Miller-Berg. Fitz Cahal is our creative director. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Patty O'Connell. Okie dokie, my friends. Until next time, keep it tight, keep it loose, and remember, safety third.